0: Uh, we're continuing in our series of messages entitled "The Miracle Worker," and I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter nine, verses fourteen through twenty-five. This is one one six three through one one six four in the Bible that we provided for you in your pew. One one six three and one one six four. Mark chapter nine, verses fourteen through twenty-five. I'll re- be reading from the New King James Version. This is actually the last in our series of messages entitled, The Miracle Worker. It's part five, our last installment of this series, and I want to invite you to turn with me as we study this portion of Scripture here this morning, Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 25. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. Just prior to this, Jesus has gone up to the mountain, and this is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. It was a glorious experience, and this picture or this artist's depiction doesn't do it justice because it was here that Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah were there. They were communing with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John saw their beloved master glorified before them. Desire of Ages actually tells us that after he came down from the mountain, the glory of God was still radiating from the presence or from the countenance of Jesus Christ. This is the experience that they've just had. They're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Down to the other nine disciples, and they're walking up to a great multitude, a scene that is taking place. Verse 15, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I have brought you my son who has a mute spirit, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they sh- that they should cast it out, but they could not. So this is what's taking place. Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He has just experienced, or the disciples have experienced, him being glorified, and he comes down to the valley, to the multitude. By the way, this is what all of us should do in our ministry to individuals. It should be time on the mountain and the multitude. We need both. If you're too much in the mountain, ivory tower, you lose touch with reality. If you're too much in the multitude, after a while you've got nothing to give. Jesus lived a very balanced ministry the mountaintop experience with God, communion with God, and in the valley with the people. When they come down to the valley, there is a very embarrassing situation that is transpiring before their eyes. The disciples have tried to cast out this demon. Evidently, they had done this before, and they failed. They were unable to cast the demon out of this boy, and the scribes were there, and they're using this to a maximum benefit of embarrassment at the disciples' cost. Now, what this reveals is that there is a very real controversy between Christ and Satan, between the powers of light and darkness, which I believe if we could see the invisible reality right now, uh, I think that we would be in shock with what we're unable to see. I was working in Los Angeles as a Bible instructor, and I don't share this to scare you, but just to reveal a little bit of the reality that we're facing. And I was in a circle prayer. You ever experienced that? You're in a circle and you're holding hands praying, and you go around clockwise or counterclockwise. Everyone takes their turn. Well, I prayed, and then the gentleman next to me started to pray. He was a visitor. And in the midst of his prayer, he said, Lord Jesus, please get these demons out of me. And I'm like, okay. And then when he said that, his voice dropped like four octaves. Just, And I won't imitate it here today, but it dropped, and it was like someone else was speaking. And I just thought, oh, Lord, I just... <laughs> I said, oh, Lord, if there's any sins in my life, please, because you know what happens, the demon, you know, uh, you never know what can happen in these situations. You better hope that you're prayed up in these types of situations. And, and I could tell you story after story of being on the front lines of ministry, and this thing is real. There is an invisible reality. And what is at stake is the hearts and minds of individuals. Jesus has just come down from the mountain, from the very gates of heaven, and now He's at the very gates of hell to engage the enemy against the forces of darkness, and the disciples were not prayed up. And they tried to cast out the demon. Remember what it says in the book of Acts, these individuals tried to cast out a demon. They said, Paul we know, Peter we know, but who are you? And this is what's happening in this situation. There's a very real controversy between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Verse 19, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him, and when he saw him, Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This gives you an indication as to the agenda of the forces of darkness. Satan's agenda is to degrade humanity, to deface the image of God, and to destroy. The agenda of God is always to uplift humanity and bring us back, I would say, to the state of Adam before the fall. Salvation is always restorative in nature. Satan seeks to deface God seeks to uplift. They brought him. Verse 20. And when they saw him, when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can, key word here, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us us. The other Gospels say that Jesus latched onto that and said, if, if you can. He points out that the father is doubting. In verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Notice the words, the language that Mark uses in this account. It says, the father of the child cried out and said with tears. For those of you that are parents a father, you can imagine your son or your daughter going through this type of bondage, enslaved to the powers of Satan, And this father is interceding for his boy. That's what's happening. The boy is morally incapacitated. The boy doesn't have the ability to ask Jesus for help. So here comes the father. He stands in the gap. He goes to Jesus and said, Please heal my boy. You can imagine the father's heart. It's breaking. And he's recognizing that this is dependent upon his faith. And he cries out and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We'll come back to that in a moment. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So many said he is dead, and Jesus, listen to this, took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. He was restored. There's so many lessons that we can bring out of this, but I'd like to make a few observations. Just few things that I like to bring out, and I want to hone in on two verses in this account. Verse 23, I want you to notice what is taking place here. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. What is Jesus doing in this account? Jesus is establishing the criteria. Isn't that right? In order for this miracle to happen, there is a condition. You have to believe. The implication is you cannot doubt. The standard is up here. This is the criteria. This is what the man needs to attain to for this miracle to take place. This is what Jesus is doing. And notice what the father says. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What is the father saying? The father is saying, look, I know, Jesus, that the standard is up here but I'm down here. This is the tension in this verse. This is the deficiency. This is the gap. Help me in my deficiency. And I've drawn a little graph here for our benefit, for our illustrative purposes, to what is taking place in the narrative of these two verses. So here is the standard. Jesus says, you need to be up here. This is the criteria. This is the ideal. This is the condition for this miracle to take place. You need to believe, and then all things are possible. But the father recognizes his deficiency. He says, look, this is all I've got. I believe, and it's down here. I will never reach the ideal." This is the tension in this verse, the moment of desperation. That's why the father cries out in tears. He's recognizing that he does not have what it takes to achieve what God is calling him to do. So this is the deficiency right here. And so notice what the father says. Immediately, the father cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So this is what happens. The father Knows he's not up here. He is down here. He knows he will never attain the ideal, the condition. So he cries out and says, Lord, help me in my deficiency. This is the gap. This is the chasm. I will never attain. Help me. I would argue that those words help my unbelief. Are the most critical words, the most crucial, the most pivotal words that you can ever say in your Christian experience. This is what's taking place. The Father asked for help. Now, I want us to think about this word help. There are several implications. Number one, Help involves a minimum of two parties, usually. All right? It's between two parties, two entities. The other implication is that the person calling for help has an innate recognition of his inability. Isn't that right? When you ask someone for help, you are asking because you recognize that you cannot do this. You're incapable. You're incompetent. You need help. If you have everything together, why ask for help? right? The other implication is that the other party of which you are reaching out to for help has the capability to assist you. So that's the whole concept of help, all right? So when you call for help, it's a recognition of your inability and the other person's ability. It's a recognition of your incapability and the other person's capability. There's a third implication of help. When you ask someone for help, Not only are you asking them for assistance, but implied, you are also granting them permission to assist. You are not only giving them, you know, the opportunity to assist, but you are giving them the authority to assist, the right to assist. That's the implication of help. So this is what takes place. You know, let's say this has happened to you before. Don't raise your hand for the last few weeks. Sorry, let's say you are driving a little bit too fast or the roads are slippery and you go out of control and you end up stuck by the side of the road and you ask someone for help, all right? When you ask someone for help, you're asking for their assistance, but at the same time, when you ask someone for assistance, you're giving them the right, okay, if it's a tow truck, to touch your car. Isn't that right? You're giving them the authority to help you by moving your vehicle. Let's say that we are at the grocery store, or let's say that you are at the airport, okay? And you see someone that is really struggling. They've got bags up to here. They can't even see the counter. I mean, they're walking around. Now, when you walk up to that individual, we know this inherently, when you walk up to the individual, you don't just take their bags, okay? They'll probably think you're, you're mugging them or something. They'll be like, police, you know, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? You don't walk up to someone and say, hey, let me just grab your bags. Let me help you. No, 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 no. You walk up to the individual no matter how much they are struggling. Isn't that right? All right? No matter how much they're floundering around, all right? They're walking into the airport. The first thing that you do, you walk up to them, and what do you say? Can I help you? Isn't that right? And when they give the okay, when they give their consent, and only when they give their consent do you take their bags. This is exactly what takes place. We know this. When you help someone without their consent, that is not really helping them, especially in this case. They feel like they're being violated. So this is what the Bible presents, the permission to assist This is the concept. When the father cried out for help, he wasn't convincing God to help him. He was giving God permission to assist him. He's giving God the authority to assist him. This is the concept of help in the Bible. This is a quotation from You Shall Receive Power, page 41. Listen to this. Everything that God could do. Listen to these words. Everything. How much? Everything that God could do has been done for the salvation of men. All right? Praise God. What's he talking about? We're told in the Desire of Ages that all of heaven was poured out in the gift of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to earth, if you were to look at the bank account of heaven, it would have been zero, empty. When Jesus came, everything was given. There's nothing more that God could have given. Everything that God could do has been done for the salvation of men. In the one rich gift, He poured out the treasures of heaven. He invites, listen to this, He pleads, He urges, but He will not compel men to come to Him. He waits, what? Consent or their cooperation. He waits, for the will that they may bestow upon the sinner the riches of his grace reserved for him from the foundations of the world. This is the concept. God has all of the resources to save you. He's just waiting for your consent, for permission to assist. I'm I mean, just looking at this picture just sends shivers down my spine because I'm allergic to doctors. (laughs) Uh, I'm your typical male because I I read about this in an article that males do not go into the doctor. A couple weeks ago, uh, actually I should say a few months ago, my wife just casually told me, oh, by the way, you have an appointment. Um, I I hadn't been to the doctor in probably, I mean, don't let this baby face fool you, probably 20 years, okay? And, uh, I mean, it was a surreal experience being there, Uh, uh, just just interesting. But there were all these forms I had to fill out. Now, when you are going in for treatment, there is a document that you need to sign. It is called the patient document consent form. And until you sign that document, the physician will not treat you for this challenge that you're having physically. When we look at the gospel, this is exactly the nature of what we're facing. God wishes us to have mastery over ourselves. How many of you want this? You know, mastery over yourselves. But He cannot help us without our what? Without our consent and cooperation, the divine spirit works through the powers and faculties given to man. Of ourselves, we are not able to bring the purposes and desires and inclinations into harmony with the will of God. But if we are willing to be made willing, the Savior will accomplish this for us. This is the beauty of the gospel, is that, look, you will never be good enough. This is the reality. Many people say, look, I will come to Jesus when I have my life put together, when I'm good enough, when I've taken care of my habits, whatever it may be. You know, they say, look, I can't come to Jesus until XYZ, whatever it may be. But the reality is, you will never be good enough. God says, Look, just just come. Just give your consent. And that gap, that chasm, that distance will be made up by the grace of God. This is the beauty of the gospel. God works in us and through us to will and to do of His good pleasure. I believe that in the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, that there are certain rules. And one of the foundational, fundamental rules of the great controversy is consent. Consent. Be, f- be careful who you are consenting to. Be careful. There's two forces at work in our universe, and we really have one fundamental choice at the very root, the very foundation, is who will control us, and that comes with Consent. I believe that individuals that are under demonic oppression and demonic possession have given their consent over to the enemy. That is what's happened. You never want to do that. You know, I pray every single day. I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, I give you my consent. I give you permission to assist. I give you permission to access my life. Now, heaven forbid, all right? I don't even want to think about this. Heaven forbid that every single day you got up in the morning and you did not consent, you did not ask God's assistance, but you went to the dark side and you asked for His intervention. Do you think your life will be dramatically different? You better believe it. These are the forces at work in our universe, the the invisible reality that we do not see. This is a quotation from Mavinus Home 405. Listen to this. We should ever keep in mind that unseen agencies are at work, both evil and good, to take control of the mind. We should ever be keenly alive to our exposure to the assaults of the unseen and invisible forces. We are to be sure that they cannot harm us. Listen to this without gaining our consent, permission to assist, the God-given ability that God has given to each one of us. I pray that every single day you give Jesus Christ access to your life. Amen? This is the most profound decision that you can make. Lord, I give you permission, access, free reign over my life. As we go back to this concept, but no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. So here it is, going back to our model. This is me. Actually, I'm even less than this. This is where we are. This is the standard. This is my deficiency. This is the reality. And I think that all of us live in this constant tension between the two. We know what God has called us to be. And notice, Jesus didn't lower the standard to accommodate this man This is important for us to recognize because we approach this one of two ways from our human perspective. When someone doesn't measure up to God's ideal, we do one of two things. One, we lower the standard. We change the rules. But God says, look, his standard is his standard. That's where he's at. Or the other one is in this regard. We say, all right, there's no no point in trying anyway. I'm just going to stay down here. Why even try being a Christian if I will never attain? And so we even either walk away or we try harder. This is what we talk about. And this is legalism, trying harder to merit, to measure up, or walk away. We just say, forget about it. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be authentic. This is, this is the reality. So we as Christians, and especially as Seventh-day Adventists, because the ideal is so out there, it's so high, what God is calling us to be. When I read Scripture and I read the spirit of prophecy, I'm like, Lord, I'm never going to get there. I'm down here. And so we get discouraged or we say, look, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm just going to grit it out. I'm going to go and, and be the best super Christian I can be. But the reality is that in this gap, in this chasm, God is not asking us to measure up. He's asking for permission to assist God is not asking us to measure up in our own ability and in our own strength. Neither does He lower the standard. But He says, look, all I'm asking for is your consent. I'm I'm asking for the ability to access your life. God has all the capability. He's just waiting for the words, help, implying my inability, God's ability, but also at the same time, authorization to access my life, permission, consent, the most powerful God-given attribute that He has given to men. And I pray that you give it to Jesus Christ. He will never abuse your loyalty. He will never take advantage of your free will. This is the most powerful decision that you can make in your Christian experience. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me in this area. I don't know what this gap is in your life. But you do. I know what mine is. You know what God is calling you to be, and you know where you're at. And you look at what God is calling you to be, and you're like, there's no way on earth I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ever be. And I want to encourage you, whether it be an addiction, whether it be a cherished sin, whether it be losing your temper, whatever it may be, that chasm, that gulf, that challenge that you're having in your life, look, you will never be good enough. Ask God. Give Him permission to access that portion of your life or your entire life to empower you, to bring you up to the standard which His grace can only do. There is power in giving God your will. This is what He calls us to do. This is the ultimate decision that each person needs to make. Desire of Ages 429, and this is a beautiful promise. We had to memorize it in high school. In Christ, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait. Listen to this language. Every sinful trait, that habit, that addiction, that challenge that you're having in your life, God can give you the victory. In Christ, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait, resisting every temptation, however strong, but many feel, listen to this, that they lacked faith And therefore they remain away from Christ. Let these souls in their helpless unworthiness cast themselves upon the mercy of their compassionate Savior. Grasp his promise. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Cast yourself at his feet with the cry. Listen to this language here. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You can never perish While you do this. And she adds, never. Never. There's a word that Jesus will never deny. Help. Help. 100%. Every single time his hand comes down. You can know. That when you ask for his permission to assist, he will save you every single time. Amen. This is the good news, the nature, the beauty of the gospel. I want to invite you to stand with me, bow your heads. Oh, every head bowed, eyes closed. The quietness of your own heart today. There is someone here. You have an area of your life that you're struggling with. Perhaps there's not a soul in the world that knows about this area, but you do. It has been a challenge. You recognize your deficiency. And today, you want to say, Lord, I consent. I give you permission. If that's your desire here today, I want to invite you to come forward. And by coming forward, you are symbolically the physical action that corresponds with a spiritual decision. You're saying, Lord, this area of my life, I want to give you free reign. I want to give you access. I want to give you permission to assist in this area of my life. I want victory by the grace of Jesus Christ. And by coming forward, I am saying, Lord, help me help me. And you're coming forward recognizing God's capability and your inability, and at the same time, you are giving God authorization over this area of your life. And by coming forward, you're saying, Lord, I know that when I ask for help, you give this assistance every single time. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, I just want to ask for help today. I just want to ask for your grace today. I want to ask for your power today. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have made us free moral agents, that you respect our freedom of choice. We thank you that you're a God of infinite capability, And today, I pray especially for the individuals that have come forward. Lord, they have a challenge in their life. They have an area of their life that they're struggling with, this area of their life in which they feel their keen sense of deficiency. And I pray today, pleading the blood and the merits of Jesus Christ, Lord, we are pleading with you to help us. We are pleading with you to assist us. We are giving you authorization over this part of our lives. Lord, We consent, take our hearts because we cannot give it. Make us willing to be made willing. Lord, help us. We cannot help ourselves. Lord, make up the gap of our deficiency and our human weakness. Lord, we consent to you today. We give you permission to assist us by your grace and by your spirit. And may each person that has come forward here today walk away with the assurance that you have granted all of us the victory through Jesus Christ. For We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse